I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to the Evening Standards Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride. So it's a new season and uh, we've been very busy in the transfer window with lots of activity. So I'm delighted to say that our main transfer is joining me as co-presenter, as host, is Sarah Elgin. We thought we'd bring some glamour, some beauty and uh, no shortage of uh, emotion and rugby intelligence <laughs> to uh, that. Sarah, I know I've worked with you all weekend, but now you've got to put up with me on a Monday and a Tuesday. I know, right? but I was, I was cheap as well. You didn't mention that in the transfer market. That's why you got me in, right? Not at all. But I'm not the only new addition, am I? From the Evening Standard, ready to deliver his views on the weekend's rugby is Steve Cording. Hi, Steve. Hi, Sarah. And our guest for the first episode is a class fullback with 72 caps for England, an amazing 351 games for Harlequins and a season with Newcastle Falcons to add his name to. It's Mike Brown. Hey, Mike. Hi there. How are you? Good. Okay, we'll all we'll be catching up in a bit now, but... Before we get going on the rugby, I think we'd all like to acknowledge that it's been um, an unsettling and difficult couple of weeks for many people. And of course, all of us on the podcast would like to pay tribute to the late Queen Elizabeth and offer our condolences to the royal family. And um, last week, we also learned the sad news of the passing of Eddie Butler, absolute legend of the game and one of the most recognisable voices in broadcasting. And his death came as a huge shock to the rugby family and all our thoughts are with Eddie's wife, Sue, his children and all his loved ones at this time. Lawrence, he was a great player, a great broadcaster and more importantly, like a great man. Absolutely. Very sad, very shocking news to hear about Eddie's passing at such a young age, 65, you know. Life seems so unfair sometimes. As you said, thoughts, prayers, love go out to his family. We're devastated and we will miss him enormously. I had the privilege of working alongside Eddie and he delivered things in in such a a beautiful way. Obviously, having an Italian surname, um, he pronounced my surname the way he does (laughs) with all foreign names, which was uh, with a bit of a a smile on his face. But uh, he's one of those people you listen to and immediately you recognise that voice. And he was just outstandingly good. But as you said, not just as a commentator, but he made you feel better as a person. Yeah, when he spoke to you, you know, you had his attention. He, was, he spoke to you like you were the only person in the room. And, and Steve, as, as Lawrence has alluded to there, he was a voice of a generation, wasn't he? He was the voice of rugby. And it's a complicated game. And one of Eddie's many, many skills, I think, was just allowing the viewer to understand it, helping the viewer to understand it. Yeah, I think so, definitely. I mean, um, it was so easy on the ear and he, he really, really would greatly missed. I mean, he, he for me, he's synonymous with the Six Nations 
and listening to him and Brian Moore going at it was just fantastic. I just echo Lawrence really. We really, really sadly missed. Absolutely. An emotional weekend for, for many reasons this weekend. Um, Mike, uh, change the tone. Um, you've been catching up on a bit of rugby league over the weekend. We're here as well as rugby union. Yeah, yeah I went to the um, Leeds-Wigan game, semi-final of the Super League. I'm a Wigan fan, so obviously I came away disappointed, but yeah, I loved it. It was really good. Why Wigan, Mike? Just when I was first introduced to rugby league through my dad, it was a whole Wigan game. My dad was a whole fan because he's from there and they were playing Wigan. So just wanted to go against him. Also, my favourite colour is red. So they were obviously red. Yeah, but then obviously when they had such great players like Radlinski, who's one of my all-time favourite rugby players across both codes, Jason Robinson, um, Big Faz, people like that. Uh, and not only rugby league, Mike, you've been experiencing this weekend. Um, I miss children's birthday parties because we've got like a 15 and a 13 year old now. And I really miss, I'm sure <laughs> you'll get there, Mike. I promise you, it'll come around really quickly while you haven't got to do the whole jelly of the mush. But it was your son's birthday. Son's fifth birthday. Yes. Yeah, Spread over the whole long weekend. Yeah, so it was uh, carnage. What do you give your five-year-old son for his birthday without spawning a mic? What is he into? What does he want? He's into um, Power Rangers and Transformers at the moment, I think. Still into his Paw Patrol. Obviously, he can spin past off both hands and spiral kick off both feet. You've taught him all of the... All of yeah, the- I can't even do that, Lawrence. So uh, <laughs> he's going to be able to do that. Okay, right. Um, should we get going then? And we'll take a closer look at the weekend's rugby. Don't forget, you can also watch the full extended video podcast at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Please drink responsibly. So, um, we'll start Northampton, I guess. It was Northampton's first run out at Franklin's Gardens. Um, it got moved, of course, from Friday to Saturday in a game that saw their opponents, London Irish, go down to 12 men at one point. Um, it was a game that kind of promised so much, I guess, Lawrence, in terms of the two back lines brimming with talent that took the field. But it was weird because those men did struggle to get going, didn't they, for long periods of that game? Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, London Irish had won the previous week, Northampton lost. So, so there's always a bit of excitement, I guess, when you play your first home game of the season. So Northampton wanted to get back to winning ways. And London Irish are one of those teams that they're all or nothing. I mean, we know they can score tries and they can play really well and they can, you know, you never quite know whether when they're beaten, but right from the start, they they looked a little bit out of sorts. I think they're a team that are playing very well in Brentford, but don't seem to know how to take that game out on the road. I think they've only won a couple of away games in a whole year. And then Northampton, obviously new director of rugby, Phil Dowson's taken over the reins, very settled coaching team. But um, I think they they play some really good stuff and I think they're going to be very competitive this year. A couple of players that stood out for me, Alex Mitchell, again, who there's so many good scrum halves in the England equation, Rafi Quirk, Danny Kerr, Van Poorfleet. But I think this young kid is he's got to be looked at at some point, whether he's got time now before the World Cup. He was the guy that sparked everything. I thought he was probably the outstanding player on the field. And then George Furbank. I'm not suggesting George Furbank's necessarily a player that needs to be thrust back into the England team, but he's certainly someone who's settled down at club level now and performing consistently well because Dan Bigger phoned up in the morning and, and ruled out through sickness or injury. I can't remember exactly what it was. So I thought the way that those two players stepped up particularly and gave Northampton their first win. Do you see any of it, Mike? No, I only caught the highlights, but Northampton are very much a team that I, I really enjoy watching. And I think, especially the back end of last season, their kind of late run into the, the playoffs, really enjoyed watching them. Obviously, coming from a Harlequin background, the way they play, their tempo, play from anywhere, offloading game. And I think they would have got a lot of confidence from especially the back end of last year, uh, coming into this year. So I'd say that they'll be up there 
or thereabouts. And we're going to go to Mike again on this one because Lawrence and myself, we were down the stoop uh, for the London Derby between Quinns and Saris. It felt like Quinns had it in the bag at halftime. But there's one thing we all know, of course, you can never rest on your laurels uh, when Saracens are the opposition. Mike, did you manage to catch the action? Yeah, definitely watch that. I have to watch that. Then I was at the old rivalry in the amount of times I've been involved in it. Um, love those games. So I think Quinns started exactly how they'd want to against the team. And if you put context text on it, a team that had only what had one preseason game against Ampt Hill, so they were going to be rusty to start with. So Quinns, you know, really exploded out of the blocks and did exactly what you'd want to do against a team that hadn't had a perfect preparation in terms of warm-up games and showed that on the scoreboard. But then the other side that they were kind of living off the mistakes of, of Saris, which probably comes from the preparation they had, but also they were trying to play a bit more, which was great to see from Saris. And then I think Quinns will be disappointed that they've let that go. We always said playing against Saris, you want to get a, a decent lead against them because they, they might struggle scoring tries. But now they're showing that they can do that and not just kind of grind out wins with their kicking game and their set piece. They're looking like they're layering on to what they've always been strong at. But then again, on the flip side, it probably shows where Quinns' weaknesses are and what they were trying to exploit, um, which is for me very much their defence. It let them down in big games last year. Montpellier, they never should have lost that. But if you're conceding that many points in European Cup, then you're not going to be at the top table. And then the same against Saris, you can't be conceding away at Saris that many points because it hurts you in the end. So that's something for Quinns to look at as their defence because it's, it's, it's not good enough at the moment. Mike, can I ask you, because you mentioned the rivalry there, because it always feels uh, more than just a game when we're reporting on it or when we're pitch side. And there's kind of like no one better than you to talk us through that rivalry. Give us an idea of what it is and what it about. And, you know, is that an 80 minutes that's different to, to other 80 minutes in the Premiership? Yeah, there's kind of a few things. It is different. Like it's, the, it's that game that you look at as a Quinns player when the fixtures come out. That's the first one you look at 100% is them and there's a few things obviously there's the kind of local London rivalry another side of it is they've got those top players that you as a player want to play against and they're stacked and then also for me it was just massive respect for what they've achieved take away how they did it or you know all that other stuff that they've that they've been through they've still gone on and achieved it and that's in Europe and and in the league so you have massive respect for that you have massive respect for the, the standard players that they have so then that makes the rivalry and the importance for me as a player even more because you want to play against the best, test yourself against the best and beat them. So not, not that we beat them that many times, but when we did, <laughs> it was amazing. But yeah, we just loved playing against them. And, and I find it really funny because even Lawrence and Austin now drives me mental. How long since you retired, Lawrence? 12 years, 13 years. Okay, I mean, well, you and Oz still anarchy, like, at some stages during the day. I let him be part of the conversation, but he was a sort of... <laughs> but no, this sport has always been about emotion. It's about love, it's about hate, it's about every emotion in between, as, as Mike's already said. And But it's also about rivalry. Without really genuine rivalry, there is no sport. And for many years, uh, you know, well, for a good part, three or four, five years, it was Leicester went head to head. And, you know, they won, I don't know, eight, nine, ten trophies between them. So those rivalries are great. Not personal. You know, they never are personal. When you're successful, as Mike said, Saracen's been successful, you know, whether they've done it fairly or unfairly is, is a matter of opinion. But when they, when you are successful, everyone is going to be, you know, want to have a go at you. And I was really impressed with Saracens at the weekend because in, and we, we say this a lot, but in rugby, if you stand still, you, you know, you, you get overtaken. And, and Saracens didn't do a lot wrong last year. They went about their business a bit more quietly. 
And when Owen Farrell came back in February, I think they had a run that went all the way to the Prem final, apart from losing when they put second team out to Gloucester. And then they lost the final. A bit unfortunate, but they would have scratched their heads over the summer and gone, right, well, clearly the way we're playing rugby has got a certain shelf life. And I think they should be applauded, really, because they've taken the game in, in a different direction. I was completely amazed by how gung-ho they were. You know, we've always known that they can defend. We've always known that they can box kick. We've always known that they can challenge people in the air. But what they've never been prepared to do is play rugby, particularly in their own half. And they outquins quins really without Marcus Smith, and that's another conversation. I, I I can't believe you've got to present to a three-man panel to decide who gets to play and who doesn't. I think it's a load of tosh. I mean, what happens to common sense between player and coach? I need you this week. It's a really big game. I'll give you some rest next week or the week after. You know, that's the way it should be. But I just thought the way that when Alex Dombran went off with no Esther Hayes and no Danny Kerr, no Mike Brown, no, none of these, you know, none of these people that we, we're used to seeing. And then you look at that Saracens, Billy Bonapola probably timed his run to perfection. Didn't do a huge amount in the first half. And then as soon as Dombran went off, he did everything he needed to do. I thought the performances of Maritoji were magnificent. Owen Farrell controlled the game. And then when things, when you're still struggling, you then go to the bench and you bring on Mac of Vunapola and Jamie George. So <laughs> they are a yeah. seriously, seriously decent outfit. And I think, you know, I, I just thought the way that they played the game, whether they'll do that the whole season, as Mike said, I thought they almost were, they were so gung-ho, they made two or three mistakes and Quinn pounced on them and, and got points up. But you all felt as soon as they got that first try that they were always going to be uh, the side to beat. And uh, I think it's ominous for the rest of the league, really, because they look they look class above already. And that was their first outing. They're only going to get better. Um, OK, down in the West Country then, uh, Johan van Graam's men suffered another defeat, uh, this time at the hands of Sale, Steve, despite the fact that a red card for the visitors after just nine minutes, was it, meant that the Sharks, they were a man down for most of the game. What are the positives, Steve, that Bath can take out of their performance? None, I don't think. I listened to some uh, interviews with Van Graan before the season started and he came in clearly with a plan of what he wanted to do. But I just don't think he was probably fully prepared for the challenge that he now has. And they actually were against 13 men for a period in the second half as well when there was a sim binning. So it's going to be tough. They've now also lost Sam Underhill for three months, I think. So he's out of the Autumn International. So that's another blow for them as well. But I think there is a really, really big challenge underway there. However, on the flip side of that, if you look at the way that Sale performed, Alex Anderson must be licking his lips at the prospect of what they've got to come because Tom Curry back, scores with his third touch. You know, the Debris brothers just get better and better and better in the way that they play. And they've got such a depth of squad now. I've just had a look actually at their odds this morning and they're 9-1, to which for me seems a pretty good outside bet as a team that could potentially, I think, make a run on the top four this season. I don't know what you think, Lawrence. I mean, Bath is a huge job to do there. Um, I think Van Graham's comments after the game were, I've been brought here to bring the squad depth and uh, this is going to take us a lot longer than I thought it would. There is some good players there. There's some very good players, but uh, they're currently forgotten how to play well. Mike, can I go to you, though, on Bath? Because I was reading an article, I think it was Dave Atwood, was quoted as saying, look, you know, it's been a great pre-season and they're not going to go out there. They're not going to kind of like beat every team they face and smash every team by 20, 30 points. But actually, surely, I know Johan van Gaan hasn't been there long. Is it like seven, eight weeks? But he, you know, you can't have, what is it, 17 points put on you at home when you have an extra man for 71 minutes? Yeah, that's not good. And the stats don't read well, do they? For me, and when you're looking at their defence, that's a reflection of the culture and environment for me. And I think that's probably something that the new head coach is hopefully looking at and takes time because 
it all starts with that for me, especially in terms of defence. That's a massive reflection of your culture and environment, how hard you want to work, how physical you want to be, how quickly you want to get back in the game. Because the attack bit's the easy bit. And they've got far too many good players for it to be rugby knowledge, rugby skill, technical side of the game, for it to be that, in my opinion. And they should not be with the players they've got down near the, the bottom end of the table. So it has to be something in terms of the culture environment that we're not in. We're not in there, so we don't know. But it's something that's been there for a good few years. You can feel that as a player. You're not as worried about going down there anymore. You're not as worried about what they're going to do. Because you know if you turn up and you put a shift in, you're probably going to turn them over. Which isn't nice to say, isn't good to say, because I know people in there. But I can imagine, especially with being South African, that's the, probably the first thing he's looking at. But unfortunately, it takes time. Okay, let's go to Coventry then, shall we? Wasps hosted Bristol. Um, and Wasps made a strong start again, didn't they? Tom Cruise getting the opening try after five minutes. Um but the Bears ultimately came away with a win, Lawrence, meaning a second defeat in a row for Wasps. Um, it's just a disappointing start, I suppose, for your old club. Yeah, it is. But I, I think, look, Wasps, I've seen Wasps play worse and win games and score tries. If you look at the stats of this game, I think Wasps had 70% possession in territory, 25 defenders beaten versus like three or four for Bristol. So they completely dominated the game. The only area where they where they didn't dominate was in, in in the scoreboard. They kept either dropping passes, making careless kind of tip-ons and knock-ons when they weren't on to pass the ball, and a lot a little bit of inaccuracy. So as a coaching group, it's quite hard to be really, really critical of your players because they're getting there, they're just not quite clicking. Wasps are certainly better than the one losing bonus point that they've got so far. And I think that's exactly what Lee Blackett will be saying. Steve, much better start uh, for Bristol, though, this season than last, of course. They're, they're finding ways to win and, and they're showing some character in performances, especially in defence. Are you predicting a much better season for them this term? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, they've obviously started on the front foot, obviously helped having that dispensation to have Ellis Genge playing in the first match, which uh, I mean, Lawrence has already touched on the, the vagaries of why some England players can play and some can't. But we've spent all our marketing budget on him being the poster boy of Bristol. So I'm sure they went to the, the panel and said, we've blown all the budget on him playing. And if he doesn't play, we're going to look like right idiots. I need to jump in and, and kind of stick up for Bristol a little bit. From what I've heard, they very much planned out his whole year. So the, the thing they presented to the RFU was they planned out his whole year and exactly what rest he was going to have. So they said he was allowed to start the first game because they knew he had X week breaks uh, already implemented into his programme for the whole year. So they presented like that. Obviously, now they have to stick to that, which I'm sure they will. Do you see that? What, what, how, I mean, as spectators, how, you know, how, how frustrating it can be not to have these players on show. Now, I fully understand that player welfare is a big thing and it's much, much better now. But, I mean, if you were Marcus Smith, say, on Saturday and you were walking around the side of the pitch in your flip-flops, I mean, how frustrated would you have been not to be able to play? And as a spectator, you just want to be able to know that there's a level playing field. Players that go on tour don't play for X amount of weeks. Fair enough, OK. But then when you introduce vagaries into it, it just gets completely confusing from week to week as to, well, will they be playing? Won't especially they be when, playing? Especially when they don't make transparent the reasons why they said yes or no. Why did they say yes to... Ellis Genge, which obviously Mike's just alluded Can to. Can the club say that though? Can the clubs say why they said no, or they're not allowed to? Or... They're not. They're not going to say that. But they, they need, if fans would understand, if there was greater transparency, um, the game needs to market itself. And if the best players in the world are not playing against each other in the biggest games, then it's not going to grow as a sport. And you know, yes, it's about player welfare, but <laughs> we don't grow the game. Players aren't going to get paid what they want to be paid, and the game's not going to grow the way we want it to grow. So it's a long season, though, Lawrence. It's a long yeah, season. but but, it, but it's hard. Quinn's against Saracens and it should be for me the two best number 10s in the country should be going head to head against each other 
Eddie Jones clearly decided he didn't want Marcus Smith playing. And we all know that England get first call on how those things roll, don't they? So, That's a cynic in you, that is. That's no, a cynic a in you. I mean, I, I'd like to see how they play against each other. Then we might decide which one starts at 10 and which one which one sits on the bench. The tough balance, isn't it? Because on one hand, we, we talk about player welfare and I'm massively into that and think it's hugely important. But then on the other hand, we want to grow the game. We want to see a good product on the pitch. We want to see these matchups, the best players on the field. So it's a hard one. So, you know, it's for the powers that be to, to look at the schedule and look when they're playing these games, look how much the guys are playing, you know, how hard the training sessions are with England, all those things, and actually sit down, talk about it, and actually come to a, a decent resolution. But also, I think, like you said, Lawrence, being transparent in all these decisions that, that keep getting made that we don't know about, you know, actually be transparent about it. And that's across the board in all decisions that, that keep getting made. And it's frustrating for us players as well, never knowing what's going on in terms of loads of different decisions that get made that impacts us as players. So I can completely agree with that. Okay, two more games left to do then. Uh, Leicester, Newcastle, current champions, Tigers, of course, first home game of the Premiership, Steve. Falcons, the visitors. They had to fight, though, for their five points. Yeah, I think the scoreline probably slightly flattered Leicester in the end I mean when you've got somebody like Nadolo on the wing you've always got an opportunity of scoring I mean it's probably one of the questions I was going to ask Mike actually was I mean how on earth would you stop somebody like that if he was running straight at you because I know Adam Radwan tried but he he couldn't do it but obviously for for Leicester I mean to make six changes and to to win Steve Borthwick has got to be pleased at the depth of his squad but he is a man mountain and I think Leicester will miss him when he obviously goes to the Waratahs in December Um, but how would you stop him Mike? You chuck your head and body and poor technique into his legs knees whatever comes near you first and hope that he trips over basically is is my uh get him to fall over you basically yeah (laughs) Yeah. but you played for the falcons last season i mean there's been a bit of change there right off season um what are your thoughts on what you've seen from them the last couple of weeks and i guess their hopes for this season look i hope they have more ambition in terms of behind closed doors and than previous years because you know as players professional athletes we strive for a bit of ambition that comes from the top so I think they've lacked that in certain years from the leadership in in what way what do you mean by that in terms of kind of just being happy with coming anywhere above the bottom three they see that as success in terms of being happy with certain results that I as an individual wouldn't be happy with things like that just in terms of their standards and things like that because I think they on paper they've actually got a better team than they show and squad actually and they they have a good academy that which turns out decent players a lot of them have been stolen this year unfortunately probably due to things that I'm talking about but so I think they can do a lot better look they are where they are in terms of the investment they get from the top but there is things that don't cost money that they could very much improve on and it's probably not for me to say things that go on behind closed doors but you know, we spoke about Bath culture and environment. That doesn't cost money. I think the group of lads, they've got a brilliant lads. But again, leadership starts at the top. You know, they are where they are in terms of infrastructure. But, you know, how hard do, do they train? What's the tempo like? Is it high enough standard and physically hard enough for the standard of premiership games that they're playing against? I watched the highlights and even the commentator referred to them dropping off for 60 minutes. That kind of says it all. So I think they just need to improve on the things that don't cost money. And they and actually... Not, and not a million miles away, Mike. You know, they were, they were beating... Quinns with 15 minutes to go. They were winning that game. They were only five points, six points adrift of Leicester with 20 minutes to go. 
So, you know, absolutely for 50, 60 minutes of every game, they're right in the game. And I think with Dave Walder at their top, I think there is a, if they haven't quite achieved it just yet, there's a there's an understanding that if you want to stay in this competition and be challenging, then you've got to play a slightly different brand of rugby than possibly they have in the past. So I, I don't think they're a million miles away. As Mike said, they're falling off in the last 20 minutes. And that can be a number of things. It can be fitness. It can be squad depth. You know, you, we saw Saracens and some of these big teams, they, they've got serious bench to bring on when when other teams don't you know but uh if they've got McGuigan who could be the top nearly the top try scorer in in the league last season and is already on the scoreboard again this year there's a lot to be hopeful about there I think that's the thing Lawrence they're, they're hopeful every year and then they always fall away that's the thing I'm probably trying to allude to and they just need you to... think it will change Mike now with a change of voice at the top or not I have to be careful what I say I'm gonna get myself in trouble I don't think there's enough change with new people coming in to make significant. That's the problem. You've got people in there that have just moved up and same, same for me. I think they'll try, but when the pressure comes on now, they've lost a couple. And we found this last season when I was there. You know, we started well, but then we had a bad loss against Leicester and a couple more losses. Then pressure comes on and you know what happens with pressure. You resort back to type. Your old habits come back in. So that's the thing be interesting now they're a couple of games in. Is that pressure going to push them back to, you know, their normal standards? But I haven't been in there this pre-season, obviously, and the start of the season. So hopefully they've lifted the standards of sessions, the tempo's higher than it was, so then they can start building on something. Do you think that mindset isn't helped by the lack of relegation? That if there's no relegation, well, does it matter if we lose? From the club's point of view, rather than obviously then, the players. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably the the frustrations I had last year as a player, and, and I know a lot of players there have. You want ambition as a player. You don't have something, you're, a shared vision you're striving for, and then why are you there? Why are you working so hard week in, week out, day in, day out? You know, basically getting your head kicked in on the weekend. What's the point? For me, it should be enough to want Newcastle as a, as a team, as a town in Europe, for example. Was it top seven to, to qualify for, for Europe? That's not out of Newcastle's reach, in my opinion, with what they've got. So why would not strive for that? Be great for the club, wouldn't it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. 
one more game um, left to talk about uh, Worcester Exeter last fixture of the weekend um, and when actually we weren't sure that it would be happening just uh, 48 hours before but Worcester hosted Exeter at six ways emotions were really high I was there it was quite difficult actually it was quite a difficult pre-match uh, but let's just talk about the rugby first then Steve Exeter won they took the five points and I tell you what that, that won't be five points they'll take for granted because they lost to six ways last season no not at all I think for them it's probably timing is everything isn't it because I think um, coming into that game with Worcester being so underprepared I mean you do feel for them really because they are you know at least a good I mean what did Steve Diamond say last week we're six weeks behind everybody else so I mean they probably pulled that in a little bit closer now but they're still not on a competitive footing and that's going to be the challenge for them going forward. Sarah when you, I mean you could talk about the emotion and, and listen hats off to all the fans that everyone who, who made this happen uh, and got that game on. That, that's that's one side of it. But I think when you take the emotion out of it, so which me and Mike would as rugby players and just look at purely at the rugby facts, the quality on display from Worcester is not the same level in terms of the playing squad as most of the teams that they play against. There's no doubt Worcester showed a lot, a lot of fight and a lot of spirit, etc. But the reality is that there's not the quality there that exists in many of these other teams. I just hope this is a wake-up call to everyone involved in our game at the top in this country because this has been coming in my opinion before Covid I know people try and put it on that but there was talk between players of, of a number of clubs struggling before Covid and how people are running their businesses so I hope this is a wake-up call in terms of the owners the league you know how that's governed new owners coming in how that's governed how people are running their businesses all those sort of things I just hope this is a wake-up call and hopefully Worcester get through this and can carry on yeah, let's hope for some good news this week now. Okay, so lots of good performances this weekend. Who do you think deserves to be named as Outstanding Player? Outstanding. Supported by Fuller's London Pride. I'm just going to say, uh, for me, probably I'm going to go maybe Richard Capstick. I thought he was really good. Raised the tries for him. He was into everything. I just think he's a great bloke. And a quick mention to Billy Vinopola as well, because I thought kind of his all-round game was good on Saturday. Steve? I'm actually going to cheat and go for a director of rugby. I have to say, Steve Diamond, I think the way that he's handled himself, given everything that's going on, just deserves praise. I mean... He's doing back-to-back interviews on the pitch and how he's kept it together and how he's putting those players on the pitch, I think, deserves praise. So sorry to go against the grain and not have a player, but I think special mention for Steve. Yeah, I have to check if that's in the rules, but OK. <laughs> uh, Lawrence? I think there was some outstanding performances from the likes of Alex Mitchell. I thought that uh, Max Malians again, played very, very well. But Billy Bonapola didn't do a huge amount in the first half. And as soon as his opposite number went down the tunnel, it was almost as if it sparked him into life. Alex Dombram was, has been outstanding. I think these two will both be in the England squad and probably, and there's an argument to say they should both be in the England team as well. Uh, Billy showed exactly what he can do at his very best and probably turned the game on its head. So I think for his offloading, for his running, for his tackling, jackling, whatever else he did, he pretty much did everything. He was an all-round show-off on the weekend. I thought it was a, an outstanding performance. Mike? Yeah, I've, I've focused on that that Harlequins Saris game because of my previous involvement. For Quinns, Caden Murley, I, I don't think he gets enough recognition for what he does. Two great finishes, but also his work, the unseen work in defence, especially as a back three unit, I think he does a lot that gets unseen to cover probably the lack of a few other things in that back three, but also their defence, which we've spoken about, the lack of fold, it's probably an issue. So he gets put under a lot of pressure on the whip, which he has to deal with. So he, he for me, is a, is a stand-up player, but the main guy for me was Billy V. Um, you need your big guys to step up when you're in a hole, and he did that. It looks like he's kind of added a bit more to his game. He's built on that confidence he got last year. 
I love seeing him when he's playing with a smile on his face, which he has done recently. His footwork before contact and how strong he is, both sides of the ball. But for me as well, for looking at teammates that I've had previously, he's that guy that you look across the room and, and when he's at his best, you look at him and you think, we're going to be all right today. And I just love seeing him when he's back to his best, smiling, because he's a brilliant bloke. So, yeah, he's he's the standout for me. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. Well, listen, time now for us to put our guest through the hot seat. Mike, it's been an interesting couple of years for you, really. Um, you're the most capped player at Harlequins. You spent 16 years there. I and probably everyone thought that you would finish your career there. Probably you did as well. But sometimes things aren't meant to be. And uh, I think there was a change in management and a change of decision making just after you'd already sorted out your situation. So um, things didn't quite end up moving on at Newcastle the way you wanted to. Just just to clarify for everyone listening, where are you at the moment? Because you you, you were there last year. You, you obviously haven't been involved this year, but I know you've been doing a lot off the field in terms of taking in other sports. What's your playing position at the moment? Have we seen the last of Mike Brown on a rugby field for as a player? Yeah, look, I'm in a weird position where I could play mentally and physically. I'd love to keep playing and, and available if anyone wants me. Um <laughs> But there's nothing for me at the moment and an opportunity in terms of playing would have to align with what my family want to do, where I'm at with my transition, the work I've already done with that um, and somewhere that I would get enjoyment out of, you know, one, two. Um, so, so does that rule out the likes of Japan and France then for you? Because you are, you've obviously got young kids. We just talked about your son's fifth birthday. I mean, you know, there's no doubt that there could be clubs and opportunities there for you and your family if you wanted to. Yeah, look, nothing's come from from abroad uh, to be honest, to, to even look at. But I think Japan, probably not for us. We're very homely people. Newcastle felt a million miles away. Um, <laughs> that's just north of England. France, again, not had any opportunities so far, but it would probably have to be someone with, you know, that plays a certain way that I'd get a massive enjoyment out of, you know, being an ex-Quinn. Someone that's probably at the top table in Europe because, you know, I still have that drive. And someone, you know, like Toulouse that has that history, Racing, who have those quality players, that to get that opportunity to play with those sorts of players and that sort of history and at the top table would what really pull me up to go abroad, I think. So your transition that you talked about there, you've been doing, you're doing a degree, you're still doing a master's degree. What If you weren't playing rugby in, say, 12 months' time, where do you see the next step for Mike Brown? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm kind of working towards or trying to get on the pathway of like a performance director, sport and director sort of role, general manager like in, in America or uh, Quinns have general manager with Billy Millard. So that's what my master's is hopefully going to allow me to to do. So being able to apply what I've learned as a player um, into an off-field role, never been into coaching or anything like that. I'm kind of dipping my toe into it a bit to kind of get that understanding, but it's more the strategic off-field planning and high-performance environment, culture. Um, and does that involve looking outside of the sport that you we like rugby? I mean, because... I would imagine that you obviously know rugby fairly inside out, as as we all feel like we do when we play. But I would imagine looking at other sports is quite interesting to 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 get an understanding of what high performance really looks like in different sports as well, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So when I first started doing all this for my transition, it was very much staying rugby. Um, but last nine months, it's I've been more motivated to broaden my horizon, and get out into other sports for my own learning, development, and hopefully a role. Bigger salaries in football, I reckon. I mean, I probably <laughs> yeah, that's it. There's a lot of transferable stuff, a, a lot of stuff I can learn and develop. Whether I go back into rugby with that, but also stuff that I can contribute in, in different environments from what I've learned through my experience and what I'm learning. So that's where I'm at, trying to get into environments and learn from different people across all sports. 
also looking at things that I can apply for that can get me on the pathway. So for example, the most recent thing I applied for um, was assistant academy director at Southampton Football Club. I didn't get it, but in terms of experience, it was my first proper interview. I had to do a presentation, I had to kind of role play during the presentation on different scenarios. So to get to get that experience is amazing for future uh, interviews that hopefully come. And my next thing now is to kind of look for you know, on the ground, on the floor sort of experience, kind of like work experience or internship to build up the CV, learn. So that's what I'm angling for across different sports at the moment. So it's um, fascinating for me because listening to the way that Serena Williams has just moved out of tennis and, and spoke about that, the, the transition in that period, it seems like, is it easier for you mentally to adjust to the fact that you might not play again by talking about the things that you are trying to do to move your life on rather than having a final, I've now retired, that's it, I'm not playing again. Have that period where you might play but knowing full well, probably in the back of your mind that that might be it. So it makes it a little bit easier to move on. Yeah, I think so. I think I knew how hard it would be with how much I love rugby and how I've been playing since the age of five. I've been a professional since 18. So it's going to be tough. So I've made sure that I've really planned out my day, make sure I'm really focusing on my transition, not just hanging on and hope that something comes um, for that last paycheck. So I'm putting things in place. I mean, it's still, I still have ups and downs. So when I'm up, you know, I'm excited how broad things are and the opportunity that's out there, meeting people and learning. But then I have the down moments where not getting much back, not sure where it's going, the uncertainty, the financial pressure, all those sort of things. So it's very much up and down, but also it's kind of front foot it as well. So Lawrence, I know this guy, Craig White, he does great things in terms of mental health, welfare, transition. So I spent a good few days with him planning and putting in coping mechanisms to deal with transition and and stress and things like that. Um, so kind of reaching out to other people and also people that have reached out to me, Jordan Turner Hall, who I grew up playing alongside at Quinn's. He's a Quinn's Academy coach and he works at Worthing as head coach. He reached out to me and said, come down and dip me toe into coaching or just look at the environment or, you know, give feedback to us as coaches. So that's what I've been doing for the last, I'd say, four weeks. So that gives me another thing to gain experience for the CV for my learning, but also it's actually been really enjoyable to get out and do that and see the other side of, you know, grassroots sports and learn from them and fair play to them turn up on Tuesday and Thursday nights and after a full day of work and doing that. So, um, no, that's been great as well. Mike, I can't not talk about England because you had an outstanding England career yourself. It's a World Cup year. You've worked under Eddie Jones and we all got our frustrations with England. Let's just be very, very honest, right? They are not where they need to be, right? They are France and Ireland are significantly better than them at the moment. 12 months out, you know, yes, they can make a good run. Yes, they've got lots of games to go, but... Uh, where do you see England's chances? Is Eddie timing his run to perfection and we're all in cloud cuckoo land or do you think that we need to be playing a bit better? Yeah, that's the thing. You've got to be careful peaking too early. I, I love the way Ireland are playing, but I do worry with them. They do seem to previously peak too early. So it's whether they can continue that. France are the, looking the number one team for me. They look brilliant. I think they've got everything they need to, to win a World Cup. England... The frustrating for me on from the outside is, and it falls into identity, the way they're going to play, the way they want to play, the players they pick. There's just so much changing all the time. One minute they, they look like they're playing one way and the next minute they're trying to play another way. And then who are they picking to fit into that identity? You know, if you're going with Marcus and Danny Kerr, for example, on tour, then you've got to choose an identity that or they've got to be going into an identity that allows them to flourish in terms of what they like to do. But then if you're picking Owen and Billy, it kind of needs to change a bit. So... Pick an identity 
a playing style that suits the players they've got and then consistency with selection. When Eddie first took over, we very much played a Sarri's base game, I would say. But that was fine because we all knew exactly what our jobs were, what we were doing. The selection came off the back of that. That was pretty consistent. And lo and behold, we had two pretty successful years. And then you start tinkering and changing. And that's when the uncertainty comes in. How are we supposed to be playing? What are we supposed to be doing? Selection changing all the time. Players coming in and out. It's, it's, it's not good. So the time's ticking now. So I think it just needs to... In terms of consistency of selection, then if Mike Brown was the England coach, who is your back three for them for the autumn internationals? I thought you were going to ask me the whole team and how they were going to play. So... No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, no just, just the back three. because Yeah, we'll, Stuart we'll... for me, he can be world-class if he wants to be in the next few years. So... Definitely him. I like Freeman. I think he's a stun player. And I like someone, in the, or at least one of them on the wing that can start into fullback because they have those basics as a fullback, um, that other side of the game you know, that people sometimes miss. Um, and then on the other wing, I've always loved Jack Noll. One my, again, like Billy V, one of my favourite teammates. So I, I could never go too far from him. But then you've got Anthony Watson, who was also brilliant when he's back to full fitness. I love Caden Murder as well. I think he's a great player. Listen, Mike, I hope it's not the last we've seen you on a rugby field because I'd love to see you uh, playing again. But if it is, then whatever you turn your attentions to, I know you'd be brilliant at it. So thanks for talking to us about that. But if all that doesn't work out for you, Mike, you can have Lawrence's job because you've been so good on the podcast today, <laughs> January. You're more than welcome yeah, on the programme anytime. You definitely can. Right, listen, we're going to do like quick, quick match preview, okay? So I'll say the, the, the games that are coming up and then if you guys can just tell me who, who you think is going to take it. Um, Steve Bath Wasps. First win of the season for Wasps. Okay, Mike, Bristol, London Irish. Bristol. Lol, um, got a Midlands derby and we Northampton against Leicester. Who's going to take that one? Let's see Northampton. I, I, um, if Dan Bigger plays, I think Northampton. Uh, I think there's Okay, that's more than there. one word, but thanks. Um, Steve, Sarries, Gloucester. Can't look beyond Sarries. Sarries. See, everyone else listens, Lawrence. Uh, Mike, Worcester, Newcastle. Um, sorry, that was, that's, that's a curveball for you. I'm sorry. Newcastle, Newcastle. <laughs> Newcastle. And then last, Lawrence Dalio, Exeter, Quinns. Exeter. Well done. One more dancer. Good. Okay, uh, before we finish today's pod then, we want uh, to be a little bit nosy and get to know Mike just a little bit better. So um, we're going to be tackling the questions now. Everyone wants to know Mike. Lol, have you got the quick five questions? Uh, I have indeed, yeah. Tackled. Supported by Fuller's London Pride. Mike, you can be as short as long as you want. What is your full name? Michael Noel Brown. I don't tell people my middle name because I don't really like it too much. That's quite a cool name. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Right, Michael Noel Brown, what's your favourite takeaway? Nando's or pizza and pasta. Spoken like a true rugby player. <laughs> Nando's oh. fist on the face. Favourite celebrity crush, either past or present, now that your wife's out of earshot? I'm going to dodge this and say man crush, David Beckham. Oh, oh I think we all have David Beckham even you'd more now. Hours, you'd have spent 12 hours in a queue with him, wouldn't you? Oh, 100%. 100%. What was the last movie you watched? It would be uh, with my son at the cinema, the Minions one, the new Minions one. Oh, <laughs> it's a brew. Exactly. 90 quid on popcorn and... Oh, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, honestly. What did you? What do you? What do you eat for breakfast? I suppose now you're still playing. You're probably very, very healthy. I'm not. You didn't never. Yeah, it's it. always been porridge, man. Porridge and berries, and yeah. What's your nickname other than Brownie? Um, do you have a nickname? Not that. Anything, not anything I'd say on here. I don't think. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> move on, move on. What's the best advice you've ever been given? It was when I was not getting back in the England squad for like four years. One of the coaches just said to me, do everything you can to be ready for when that opportunity comes. And I've just always tried to live off that. 
Good advice there. Um, who is the most famous person in your phone book or in your in your mobile phone? Or who was the last famous person you spoke to on the mobile phone? I'd say most famous, probably oh, it's a bit boring. Johnny Wilkinson. But the last famous person I spoke to, oh, I don't know. I don't oh, roll in those circles like Hugo and Danny. No. And Lawrence. Who's the last famous person you spoke to, Lawrence? Jamie Dornan. What? Jamie Dornan. You, you said Jason Donovan. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, Jason <laughs> Leonard this morning. I got his number? <laughs> other than Jason Leonard this morning. Sorry. Jamie okay. Dornan. Okay. See, now your ears are perked up. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know the one. Impressive. <laughs> 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 um, right. Who uh, would, Mike, who would play the film about your life? I was thinking about this this morning. Your life, that is, not mine. Tom Hardy. Oh, Good choice. Yeah. Uh, who's the funniest person you know? If it's a player, probably Marla. Yeah. Probably. So yeah, different is the nicest way of putting it. Different. Are you are you a are you a dog or a cat man? Neither. None. Nah, not keen on either. We're we're quite OCD in this house. Like we like we, we don't like mess. And but if I had to, if I had to, then dog. Okay. What's your karaoke song? <laughs> Again, I wouldn't. I would never do it. But what did you sing when you were when you got first cat then? Build me up, Buttercup. That one. But oh. if I was, oh. Oh. A great, That's tune a great song. Not when I sing it, it's that not. Um, if I was doing karaoke, it'd be like Backstreet Boys. I want it that way because oh, I'm with you with the Backstreet Boys. Like, what's your favorite TV show? I'm watching SWAT on Netflix at the moment. I'm watching that. How good is that? Oh, yes. right. It's easy. Yeah, it's literally, it's like American, like nonsense, yeah, very but American, it's actually very. brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so the last quick ones. Um, Mike, uh, as your son's got these Power Rangers out. Which superhero would you most like to be? I always liked Batman growing up. Yeah, he's got a load of cash. He can dip in and out of being a superhero and beats people up and he's pretty cool. See, yeah. I like the villain. I like the Joker. I like the villains instead. I don't mind. <laughs> uh, who's your ideal dinner party guest? Probably Muhammad Ali. I've got a few pictures of him on the wall. Be interesting just to learn about his life. Okay, last two, which are rugby questions. Who is the best rugby player of all time or your favourite rugby player? I don't mind which one you say best of all time not necessarily with them being the best rugby players but what they did for the sport worldwide would be Joan Lomu but also in this country Johnny Wilkinson probably those two the last word with you what is your favorite or most memorable rugby moment in your life and you've had many many highlights in your career what do you look back on and go that was the proudest day of my life or that was the best moment I had in rugby I would say probably Getting the opportunity to run out at a pack stoop against Saris with my son. Yeah, I always wanted to do that as soon as he was born. So I got to do that for my 300th game. I ran out with him at the stoop and it was packed and under the lights. We didn't win, but to do it against that and the environment. Don't tell him that last bit. Yeah, just you can just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was amazing to do. Yeah, great stuff. Well, listen, that is uh, fantastic. Thank you very much for being tackled, so to speak. Thanks to everyone for this episode of uh, the Rugby Podcast, uh, supported by Fuller's London Pride. A special thanks to Mike Brown, uh, of course, and to Sarah and to Steve. And to you too, Lawrence. Oh, thank you. Steve Lawrence and myself will be back next week with all the latest rugby news for you. So we'll chat to you then. And don't forget to follow us and make sure you don't miss a single episode. Uh, and if you're feeling really generous, then give us a really nice review, share it with your mates. And remember, you can watch the full extended video podcast with Mike Brown's full interview of today's episode at londonpridebeer.co.uk. See you all next time. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride. Official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride.
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> 